to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Today, I'm talking to Kendall Toole. Kendall's a Peloton instructor who has attracted over 400,000 followers on Instagram. She doesn't just talk about fitness. She talks a lot about mindset and mental health on social media. And that's why I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to learn why she was so passionate about talking about mental health in such an authentic way. I discovered she's had her own battle with mental health in the past, which she'll talk about today. She also shared some really good strategies for boosting your mood, getting motivated, and managing your mental health on a daily basis. Make sure to stick around for the end of the episode for The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I'll break down the strategies Kendall shares and tell you how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Kendall Toole. She's mentally strong. This is her story. Kendall Toole, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm Excited to talk to you. I know that you're a Peloton instructor and you've gained this huge following on social media. And I know that people love you. And yet you're not afraid to talk about mental health issues along with physical health issues. What do you think is the link between mental health and physical health? It's amazing, I think, how deeply connected and intertwined they are. And yet they're often talked about in these separate silos right? When people think about their physical health, oftentimes we see a visual representation of it. When we think physical health, we're like, oh, someone looks muscular or can lift heavy weight or looks a certain body type. But really the physical strength, and in fact, true physical strength is all from more of the inner body, right? It's having the ability to have a strong core. You know, when you see a woman who gives birth, like the strength of your body to not only carry a baby, but then also give birth to a baby, that is true physical strength. Where that meets mental health, where it meets mental strength, is that it truly, they, they, they're uh, two parts of the same relationship, right? They work in congruence with each other, hopefully. But oftentimes we find when we don't have the motivation for physical activity, it comes from something in our mental health. It comes from another area. They're very much helpers to each other and can be herders to each other, depending on how you do it. So I would always say, for me, I've found the physical activity and the physical fitness being such a fantastic tool to help me with my mental health and vice versa. I love that you just said all that. I'm a psychotherapist and I completely agree with everything that you Thank said. You you do. <laughs> so often though, we separate those two things, right? We say our mental health and our physical health aren't related. Mm-hmm. I hear from a lot of people who say things like, I just have to wait until I get motivated or I'll go to the gym later or when I'm feeling up to it. Obviously, though, as an instructor, you motivate people now. You have this huge following and tons of people love to work out with you. How do you help motivate people? What I think it really goes down to is understanding what you just spoke about. It's not about, you know, waiting for the right time. And I think we know this with life. I look back at my mental health journey. It was never the right time to have to deal with my mental health. It was extremely inconvenient. It happened at the worst possible time, but it was also the time that needed to happen. And it's that same thing when it comes to motivating yourself to getting up and going to the gym or even just committing to some form of movement. The action of investing in yourself, even if it is for two minutes or five minutes or a full hour or an hour 30, 
that's a brave move. It's a bold move. It's a little something that you have control over in a world where there's a lot out of our control that can help you take back the narrative a bit. So for me, when I'm really not feeling motivated, I had this, I had a tough mental health day literally last week. I think a lot of people did. I talked about it on social media. I was like, is it just me or is everybody having like a brutal day today? And it was amazing what the feedback was. And so many people were in the same position. But what truly turned it over was I pulled up my Peloton app at home. I couldn't drag myself to the gym. I was like, oh, I don't feel like doing it. And I said, you know what? Just do like a 10-minute core. It burns enough that I know I'll feel like I'm doing something and it's 10 minutes. My dog will jump on me. It'll be okay. Let me just try. Let me just try for 10. Something shifted probably minute two. The body responded to the fact that it was getting the stimulus that physical activity is what we're doing and it adapted into it. And I love it. And I can't wait. And I'm curious about this from your perspective about the importance of physical stimuli affecting our moods and external stimuli affecting the way that we show up. And it's kind of a way to create the own opportunity for yourself to switch gears in your head. So when I need that motivation, I always remind myself that, all right, just commit to it for two minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes maximum. And if you're still not feeling it and if your body is telling you, no, Kendall, not today, then honor it. And that means that it's time for rest. But usually you get about two, three, five minutes in, the music gets good. You laugh at something when the instructor says, or you're like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit better. And you start to just fall into flow. That. So that's an exercise I talk about a lot. I write about it in my books, the 10-minute rule. Yes. Once you do something, usually getting started is the hardest part. Mm-hmm. But once you get yourself moving, you start taking action first, the mood often follows. So cool. then you think, all right, this isn't so bad. Yes. Give yourself permission to quit when you get to the 10-minute mark. But I bet 99% of the time, once you get there, you'll keep going. It's so much easier to keep going than it is to get started. Yeah. And if we think I have to work out for 60 minutes or I have to go do this thing I don't want to do, I have to write this entire report and it's really boring, it's easy to push it off to say, I'll do it later. Just give yourself 10 minutes to start and most of the time you'll keep going. Yes. And it so speaks to even my experience with anxiety and depression. Like a lot of when I was in my, or even when I now have these challenging days or in, in the harder moments, I build a level of pressure on myself of expectation of you have this, you have this. It's a, you have to. And I'm, I'm going to give a throw out and a little bit of love to my girl, Jess Sims. Uh, one of my favorite things she says is, you know, you don't have to, you get to. And switching that mindset of like the opportunity mindset rather than the expectation mindset, right? The abundance versus scarcity. And when I get the opportunity to show up even for a little bit of time or like the opportunity to talk in a podcast or to write about my mental health journey, starting and only taking those five minutes, it allows me to get past that hump of feeling like it's another chore. And with my experience with mental health, a lot of things in my day-to-day life, everything started to feel like a chore. You know, spending time with the ones I love started to feel like a chore and that really scared me. And I was like, what's happening that's going on internally? So it is very powerful to know if I'm just going to commit like what you say to 10 minutes, it can actually change completely. It's a 180 for that mindset. Yeah. Mental health issues make it so easy to put something off. So rather than make that phone call to schedule an appointment with your dentist or rather than take care of a quick bill, it might only take 10 minutes to take care of, but you could spend three hours dreading it, right? And convincing yourself it's going to take forever, it's not going to work out, or I don't feel like doing this. And then before you know it, it literally takes up half your day, but it's something that if you just did it, it it wouldn't have taken nearly as much time. Exactly. In terms of your own mental health journey, can you tell us a bit about about that, where it started and why you started talking about it? Truly, yeah. 
it's interesting. It started as a quirk, right? It started, I think when I was super young, it was a funny personality trait. I was very particular. And truly, this is where it's proof. It, some of us are just born this way and that's okay. When I was a baby, my mom would want to change my diaper. And if she would put me down on a towel or a mat or a sheet or whatever, I would squirm and scream if there was a single wrinkle on that sheet, which is so crazy. As even a baby, before my consciousness even hit me, I had the awareness of there's something wrong with this. I feel uncomfortable. I need it a certain way. So I will tell you, OCD came up the second I came out of the womb. So I don't know what that was. I don't know if I was critiquing on my way out or, you know, having rituals on my way out, but it happened. So that was kind of the first sign my mom, my mom noticed. And then right about eight, nine, 10 years old, I had a lot of rituals. I would need to be tucked in a certain way. Um, I'm very proud to say I'm currently sitting in my living room and my, my barefoot feet are on the ground. I could have never done that in those years. I had to be wearing socks constantly. I had to often wash my feet. I had to be tucked into bed a certain way. I was like, mom, you have to mummify me. And like almost where I felt swaddled really is what it was. And I had so much fear that if I didn't participate in these rituals, that something would happen to someone I loved. I was very superstitious. And it was, if I don't hit the light switch up and down a certain rhythm or time, then that would happen. And I felt like I would be punished, right? So it was like this anxiety... And to be eight, nine, and 10 years old and to have your parents thinking, oh my goodness, like, where is this coming from? What do we do to help her? You know, how do we, how do we do something about this? And I'm very grateful that I had parents who were very open to therapy and very, very open to finding professional help. And I will say this time and time again, I think honestly, whether you think you're dealing with a mental health struggle or challenge or just having a phase in your life, everybody should go to therapy. It is the single greatest thing. It's like having a really lovely, really educated friend who does not know your business, is not, they're invested in your well being and nobody else's. And it's so helpful to get to just speak openly and without judgment. And there's so many great therapists that are, I, I owe my life to truly at this point. I owe the fact I'm here right now to, to medical professional help. And so I went through therapy then and really kind of found some great um, strategies through cognitive behavioral therapy, through different um, practices like that. And then truly, uh, everything kind of came to a head right about 21, 20 to 21 when I was in college. I uh, was going through a lot within my univers- my time at university. I formerly acted as a, as a teenager and, a, and as a kid. And I thought my career was going to take off in a certain way. I was living in Los Angeles. I got this dream job and my agent called me. This sounds so cliche. I hate saying that. But my agent called me and was like, hey, kid, you're probably not going to finish college. Like Things are about to happen. And after mm-hmm. years of work and identifying myself with this, this plight and this hard work that I put in for hours upon hours of acting classes and auditions and no's, it felt like it was all finally happening for me. And ultimately, uh, the film that I did was not met or received the way that it was expected. There was a lot of challenges in post-production. And... I needed to take a breath and realize, oh my gosh, I'm going to graduate college. The life that I planned for myself, that I put my five-year plan in, isn't going to happen the way that I thought. What am I going to do? I'm going to graduate. Am I going to have to get a normal job? I was at this incredible university. I was at USC. I was in the film program. I was a cheerleader. So nobody had any idea that there was all of this fear and anxiety and strife and restriction going on internally for me because I didn't want anyone to know that I wasn't okay. 
including my mom. And I'm extremely close with my family, obviously through the mental health challenges I had as a youngster. And it really came to a head. It was my senior year. And I was very petrified of the future. I felt paralyzed by what was what I didn't know was going to come next. And this idea that I had to move on from this dream that I had. And there was a very tough time where I was very close and, and contemplated and almost partook in, in my own suicide. Wow. And that moment and the moment leading up to that, it was very interesting. My mom and I have always had a deep connection. And I don't know if it's just a mother's instinct is part of it too. But I put my phone on silent and was very much at the precipice. And she called me out of the blue. Oh my God, I get teary at it. It's so beautiful. She called me nonstop. And what held me back from that moment before was thinking I had this flash of what would happen? What would be, what would become of my family if, if I completed what I was considering and contemplating? And it was like looking into the future. And it was devastating. And I knew that would... <laughs> Bowie. <laughs> I love my dogs trying to comfort. <laughs> Bowie, come here. But I knew that at that moment, I would change the course of not only my life, which at that point I was contemplating, but I would affect the lives of everyone I loved. Yeah. And that I didn't feel was fair to... As much pain as I was in, I did not want to put that on anybody else. And the power of kind of that moment, I called my mom immediately after. I saw the 15 or 20 missed calls, which is incredible. And I was like, mom, I need you to pick me up. I don't, <laughs> I mean, thank God all was good. I, she, hauled, she hauled down to USC so darn fast. Um, I'm going to give it a second. Sorry, Bowie is drinking out of his water bowl. <laughs> no problem. He's really thirsty. <laughs> uh, but she hauled down to USC so fast. I'm gracious. There were not any cops, or if there were, they were kind and, and you know, were like, just go. We, we know something's mm-hmm. off. And I came back home. And the next three months of my life, I can definitively tell you, I have no recollection of. Really? No, I complete. Yeah, it's very odd. It's the only time in my life I've ever complete. Like, I, I look at photos it does not trigger any experience. It does not trigger the holidays that year. This happened in in November. And the holidays that year were really a complete blur. I look back at old photos, all of it, none of it recollects. And so what we did at that point in time, I came home. This is all from the knowledge of what my mom has told me because I don't remember this. Um, I really struggled getting out of bed and even getting a shower, eating those things. And she immediately, she emailed all my professors, her and my dad got a plan of attack. And they're like, all right, let's find her the best therapy. If we need to do inpatient, we'll do inpatient. I was very adamant. I think about not wanting to. I was very, I really wanted to continue my education. It was very important to me, especially I felt like that was the last thing I had after losing this idea of who I thought I was going to be. And my professors and so gracious to the university were fantastic. I had good grades up until that point. That's the other thing. You can be very depressed and you can be in a very dark place and you can still be high functioning. Yes. And that's great A's. Like, and this is at a high level university in my senior year, the hardest classes I've ever taken. And I was not social. I was very reclusive, but I handled my school and I handled telling everybody I was okay when I wasn't. And I think that's a key thing. But 
it was a few weeks of, of finding the right team. We got the right team together. And then the rest of that year and into January was spent all deeply in therapy. Um, I felt confident enough in January is where everything kind of starts to come back-ish. Um, I was doing school from a distance at that point. And then February, I believe I moved back on campus into a studio apartment, decorated it beautifully, made it my nest. Um, and then really perpetually, I was in therapy multiple times a week and then balancing that in class. And then the other godsend for me was through all of this was I had a mentor at the time about a year and a half previous, and he got me into boxing and that changed my life. Really? Oh, the movement, the movement, the, the discovering I had a power that I did, I did not feel internally and knowing that all of that I felt deeply internally, I could express physically and not have to do it for anybody other than myself. Did you work out before then? Was fitness part of your life? I did. I I enjoyed moving my body often. I danced as a kid. Um, I was on a traveling hip hop team and, and really into that and movement. And then really one piece of my own taking care of myself was finding solace, even if it was on an elliptical or if it was on a, a, a weightlifting machine or, or lifting weights or climbing a rope. We had a, a great gym. I was really lucky to have through that process. And I would hold myself up there for hours, not trying to change anything about myself. I think it was trying to, I think subconsciously I was trying to reconnect to my own strength and like remind myself there's something more here. There's something deeper here, you know, and I was searching for that. And I'm grateful that movement in a lot of ways has been medicinal for me. And I know Robin Arzone says it often, and it's very true. I mean, she's been through her own set of traumatic experiences. And, and I think we all have our own journey and story. And being able to move one's body and rediscover the power that this vessel has, it completely helped align my mental health. And it reminded my mind, listen, hey, my body was yelling at my mind saying, yo, I can do these things. I can handle this. So can you. And that's where they're very much, it's a deep and beautiful relationship. Like it's a marriage between your mind and your body and it's work. And it's not easy, just like marriage is not. I say this as someone who's currently not married, but respecting my parents' almost 40-year relationship. So there we go. But it's key and it's optimal. So yeah, so through that process, I I got help and, and was really focusing on both my physical health, my mental health, prioritizing that, prioritized graduating. And I'm pleased to say I graduated USC I still Yay. have stress dreams. Yes, I have stress dreams that I didn't, but I still do. I did, and that's great. And I'm very proud of going there and and entered the workforce and and handled it. And granted, handled it means it's still an ellipses, right? I have mm-hmm. days and I have very, very challenging days. But now I'm I'm more equipped to understand what those are, identify them, and take the steps and tactics I need to take to help work through them. Thank you for sharing all of that. One of the things that becomes really clear from your story and your continued conversation is that we're not either mentally healthy or mentally ill. So often we tend to think that we're like the epitome of mental health. But there's a study that the CDC found years ago that about 17% of us are are operating at optimal mental health on any given day. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a continuum. There's mental illness on one end, mental health on the other. But on any given day, we fall somewhere on that continuum. And it depends on a lot of factors like the weather, our family, what we're doing that day, what happened yesterday. So for any of us to think that we're fine, that we're immune, that we don't have to worry about our mental health is 
craziness because so often people will say things like, I don't need to work on my mental strength. I'm mentally strong enough. But we wouldn't do that with physical strength. Nobody says, well, I lifted weights 10 years ago, so I don't ever need to go to the gym again. (laughs) That's something that we all need to work on on a regular basis. And your willingness to share your story and then not say, well, I had a rough patch, but I'm I'm cured now. But instead, you talk about it as an ongoing thing that you're working on, just like your physical health. So thank you for that. Of course. And I think it's it's very important as somebody who has this incredible access to, you know, membership and these the beautiful people that partake in Peloton. And there I feel deeply responsible in a certain sense to show that yes, I am a fitness instructor. I work out for a living. So like I have to check on my body. It's it's like an athletic in a sense, it's like being an athlete where if I'm training a certain amount, I need to make sure I'm doing the right amount of recovery. But it's also important that people understand there's a massive mental component to it. And I would be remiss. And candidly, I don't think I'd be being authentic to both myself or to the rest of the world if I spoke from a pedestal of, okay, I had mental health struggles and, you know, but I'm fit now. And so I'm good and I've cured them and all of that. It's not, it's not a light switch. It's not the light switch that I tried to flip on and off as a kid with my OCD. It is exactly what you said. It's a continuum. It's a spectrum. And depending on what is going on in my life, and I'm aware of this as I develop as a woman, and one day when I have children and look forward to hopefully doing that one day, my hormones are going to change. My experiences are going to change. The responsibilities on me are going to change. And the way that I care for my mental health is going to have to change with it. It develops. It's a relationship. It's not something that is a check mark or a checkbox. And I think it's the more that I can speak to the fact that you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to what worked for you, you know, 6 months ago might not be working for you right now. What worked for you pre-COVID probably isn't working for you right now. Guess what? Me too. So, we've all been back to the drawing board on this one, but there is power in that development process and that growth process. And it's all evolutionary, right? It all builds upon the thing previous. And that's key and that's optimal. So you continue to find better tools and better mechanisms and better ways to help yourself. And at the same time, you find you don't need the hammer that day. You don't need the screwdriver that day. Maybe you just need to take a break and just not try to fix it one day. And then that's going to be helpful too. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of experimenting and saying what works now, what works later, what kinds of things. And just about any coping strategy can become unhealthy at some point. For some people, they say, I relax by watching TV. Well, if you watch TV for a little while, that's great. But then some people are like, I spend eight hours a day watching TV. Then it becomes unhealthy. Yes. And it's it's so real. And I think that's that's what's really kind of funny about it is that it's easy to fall into overdoing anything, right? Sometimes... And I found this too, when it feels great to take a ride and then another ride and then tack on another strength class. But if there's something I'm learning about my body, especially through COVID and the continual stress that I think we've all been feeling and trying to adapt to under, you know, the lack of interpersonal communication and in that, and the fact that you're not with somebody, you can't hug people. I'm a huge hugger. Like my Italian heritage, I do not know how to keep my hands to myself. And I'm, I'm on one hand, I'm kind of proud. I've gotten really good at it but I also am upset I've gotten good at it. I love to put my hand on someone's back or or give a hug or like a hand out to someone to know that, hey, I'm here, like I'm here for you. So not being able to have even just the physical touch of like seeing your friends or, you know, hugging somebody or seeing somebody smile, you know? Yeah. It, it, we have to wear masks. It's important that we do it. But I truly miss 
seeing the other half of everybody's face. Like there's so many muscles there that tell us, oh, this is how someone feels about something. And I'm grateful it's forcing us to look at each other in the eye. And that's yeah. powerful. And I like that. But I'm like, oh, I'm really curious. Or meeting people and then you don't even know what they really look like without their mask on. And then they take it off and you're like, oh my God, that's not what I expected. I mean, you look fantastic, but shoot, I did not think that. It's weird, isn't it? <laughs> it's strange. Yeah, but it is. But it's funny because it's it kind of feels like a metaphor too. And, and pulling it back to mental health, that is like what mental health is, right? You only see half the story. You have yeah. no idea what is going on underneath the surface, right? So it is a very masked experience. And I think just it's helped me go into the world so much more empathetically in that even if there's somebody that I might not like their approach or I might not agree with the way that they're what the things they're saying or the way they're saying them, I always now wonder, okay, what is actually going on for that person too? Yeah, I write books on mental strength. And so often people will ask me to identify mentally strong people based on their external behavior. <laughs> Sometimes you don't know what's going on on the inside. Somebody that speaks up in front of two people might have way more mental strength than somebody that gets on a stage in front of 10,000. I have no idea what kind of battles these people are fighting. Yeah. And if we took physical fitness as an example, sometimes people say that person's so self-disciplined. They go to the gym every day. Clearly, they're really mentally strong. Maybe they hate themselves too and they're punishing themselves. I'm sure you've seen examples of that where people tend to have body image issues and working out isn't for the joy. It's because they're struggling internally and this is yeah. what we're seeing on the outside. But it's so easy to, to compare, to look at other people and think that person's doing better than I am, but you never know. And that's what makes it so great that you're willing to talk about mental health issues. And I've seen you post on Instagram real life situations and stories and you talk about your struggles as a way to say, yeah, from the outside, probably things look perfect sometimes, but oh. here's what you don't see, right? Oh, completely, completely. And that's, I think nobody is, nobody's immune to it, right? All of us are these incredible, I look at people as souls that are in spirits that are in an, a body vessel for the time that we get to have it. But everybody has certain superpowers. Everybody has a certain purpose, certain things that they are meant to do, I believe, while they're here. And so the idea that one's experience or the way that someone shows up in the world because of what we perceive it to be from the external is better or optimal or makes our experience smaller is just inherently not the way it works. It's like, you're, you're here. You are here for a purpose. You are here for a reason. There is something that you can do and something that you can offer that nobody else who is walking the earth right now can. And the important part is understanding somebody else's what could be perceived as perfection because of the way that society tells us this is what's optimal. They might be in their element, but it doesn't make your element any less important. It doesn't make your power any less powerful. And that it really, a lot shifted for me. And it was a lot through therapy where I had to talk to myself and how I was speaking to myself really changed because I always saw scarcity because I was so fearful of falling back into the, the spiral of the depression, right? Falling back into the anxiety and the concern that what if this? Well, then if this, then that. So then let me prepare for 12 worst case scenarios rather than just trust myself and know that when it, if it happens, I'm equipped to deal with it. But I, I was trying to maximize and mitigate risk all the time. And it was exhausting. And what's different now is, when I find myself going to that place, I ask myself, is this my scarce mind talking or is this my abundant mind talking? And it's amazing how 
whenever it's something that is feeling restrictive and I feel my pulse go up and I feel my the pressure on my chest start to hit and I feel my brain start to race, it's always from the scarce place. It's always oh, that's that's interesting. What are some of the other signs of when you know that you're having mm-hmm. like a bad mental health day, your mental health is slipping, you need to do more to take care of your mental health? What are your warning signs that you see? Candidly, I can get much more short-fused. Things can irritate me so much more quickly. New York has been a great tester and have been great feedback for me because this city will always do something to challenge your day. It's not an easy place to live, whether it be the snow or, you know, there's a car whipping around the corner or a biker that almost hits you walking down the street. Uh, There's a great show on Netflix that Fran Lebowitz did called Pretend It's a City. And I swear, I'm like, I think I've turned New York, this California girl, because I know exactly what she's speaking about, these frustrations. But I find I get more irritated by that. I find I can read a news article and be so upset to hear that this is what's happening in the world. And I can feel like I I need to change and fix things. and, And I start to pile on. So it's the being shorter fused. It's the piling on of expectation right? And Mm -hmm. from that piling on action and activity, it's being so overwhelmed by it that I start to feel paralyzed. So then when you start to notice those warning signs, what do you do? Often, especially it's been challenging in COVID because usually I would, I'm a very external person and I love just connecting with other individuals. Usually I would go and find a friend or go hang or go call. I will, God bless, I call my mom a lot. My mom and I are really close. But she's in California. She has her life and a job and my dad's there and they have their life and I have my life here. And not only, not often can we talk at the same times. So if I can't reach out and communicate with somebody that I know, often I go back to gratitude and I try to. I love a post-it note. There are post-its all over the place. I have saved some of them. And I just write down, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I try to reframe whatever is stressing me out. So if it's, I mean... I had this moment earlier last week. I was like, I have X many classes to to program. I have this many conversations to have. I'm fearful about this conversation I have to have with somebody else I'm working with. And I don't like to say no, but I need to say no to this. And I started feeling myself feel the pressure. And then I kind of wrote a note to myself and said, it's so funny because two years ago, you wished you had these pressures on you. You wish you had these opportunities. You are growing. You can handle this. And it was kind of sometimes like, I. it's funny. I, as I motivate people on the bike, I have to motivate myself. 99% of the time when I am motivating somebody in class, it is literally the lessons I am trying to work on myself. It's very... I, I love to say, hey, I sit there and they, they fall into my head and it's this beautiful spiritual thing. No, it's literally me saying the things that I, I'm trying to fight and deal with. And I suspect that's why you have so many followers. They know it's authentic. You're not saying, here's what you should do and preaching from the pulpit. You're saying, I struggle with these things too. And this is what works for me. No, and, it's definitely not. It's not preaching from the pulpit for me. It's definitely like preaching from the mosh pit. It's like... Exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I find the same thing. I'm a therapist. So people think, oh, you know all this stuff because you learned it in college or whatever. You're like, well, I also work on all of this at home all at the same time. So the... I don't want to tell people, try this strategy unless I try it myself or unless I can say this is what's worked for me. It seems to be more powerful than this is what you should do based on some random study or what somebody else said you should do. Yes. 
Uh, One last question for you would be for any listeners who are just really struggling and they're feeling uh, at the bottom, maybe they're in the depths of despair or they feel depressed, they are thinking maybe nothing will work, there's nothing that will help. What would be your tips for somebody who feels like that? Mm. The first thing I would say to them, even before providing advice, is just letting them know they're not alone in that experience. That being in that place is it feels so isolatory and mentally it's, it's so hard. Even when I think back to where I was in some of my most challenging and darkest moments. And I so deeply want to give her a hug because I'm just like, Oh God, it gets so much better. And it does get better. And it can feel like it's going to be forever. And it's not, but there's also, it's, it's a call to action. I think, I think it's also in a strange way, there's a beauty to that challenge because the journey that can come after being in a place like that is single-handedly the most rewarding and most fulfilling that I have had to this point in my life. Granted, there's a lot of life experiences I look forward to having family and all that stuff one day, but I know I'm going to be so much better equipped to do that because I have put that work in learning and trying and some days liking and some days loving myself and some days having to say, girl, get it together. You know, we need to, we need to level up today. We can do better today. But at that point, if someone is in that place, I say, number one, acknowledge that the way you're feeling is totally okay. It's okay to, to feel like that. It's okay to be in that space. But number two, it's not okay to let it beat you. That I always say in class, stay in the fight. And the phrase my dad gave me, and this was through my OCD as a child, and it continued through when I was going with, you know, dealing with my anxiety and depression, he would always tell me, and I closed class with this, they can knock you down, but they can't knock you out. Your mental health can knock you down. Like you can have those days, but there's an inflection point And there is a moment when you have to decide, am I going to let this knock me out? Because that is submission. That is acceptance. And that's the thing that we do have autonomy over. So when you are in that place, it's okay to be there. It's okay that, okay, we ended up here. Cool. Now, what are we going to do about it? I say, reach out to somebody that you trust. You don't even need to give the details. Say, hey, I'm really not 100% okay. Can I talk to you or can I get some help? It's scary to get some help there, but there's fantastic resources out there. There are finding therapists like yourself, people who can come in and change the game and handholds you through the process. And it's so rewarding and so comforting to have that. Initially, there's there's resources online, like something like the National Alliance on Mental Illness, the Jed Foundation. There's so many different ways that you can reach out. Also, the suicide hotline is not just for when you're feeling suicidal. The suicide hotline is there when you just want to talk to somebody and be like, I'm having a really tough day. What do I do? Being able to reach out and have a conversation with somebody with somebody else. I say, reach out to get connection, research, who can come into your space? Who can you add to your team? It's like your team of superheroes, your team of Avengers. Who can you add to like go tackle the bad guy? And from there, take a moment to be grateful for the breath that you have and for the fact that you are living at this very moment because you're about to embark on such a beautiful journey that will teach you so much more about yourself and make you fall in love and in line with being the highest level human that you can be. And truly like that's why with all of the strife and all of the struggle and all of the pain, my mental health is my superpower because it's made me the most human I can possibly be. And I've, I'm proud to say that it's made me the most empathetic and 
I feel like in flow that I can be. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful for those bad days because they help remind me what I can do. And personally, I find I appreciate the good days after I get through the bad days. When oh, you've been at the bottom yeah. of the barrel, sometimes uh, when you feel good, you, I just appreciate it more. Yes. And it's like sitting there with the morning cup. For me, it's tea or matcha. For a lot of people, it could be coffee or at the end of the day. I love like the quiet moment, especially now when like the city gets quiet or like it kind of feels like when the snow is falling and you can just take a breath and say, wow, let me take a moment and just take stock. This just feels good. And, and acknowledging it's also okay to feel good. It's okay to be proud of yourself. It's okay to say, hey, guess what? I'm the shoot today. I crushed my workout. Or hey, guess what? I'm, you know, I conquered my goal. Or I just like the way I look today. Or I'm just happy with who I am today. Even though I have growth to do, it's enough. And I'm proud of that. Wise words of wisdom. Kendall, thank <laughs> you so much for being on the Very Well Mind podcast. I could talk to you forever. I don't have a Peloton bike because I live on a sailboat. But when I go to hotels, sometimes uh, there are Peloton bikes. I'm going to make sure that the next time I go somewhere where there is one, I'm going to definitely sign up for one of your classes. Amazing. I will love that. And let me tell you, I will join you on that sailboat anytime. I am a water baby. Put me to work. I'm down. Excellent. Well, we're down in the Florida Keys. Come down anytime. Oh, gosh. Just the weather alone. Great. So I'm going to hop in a car. I'll be there in like 12, I don't know, 19 hours to drive. Cool. We'll do the, we'll do the follow-up episode from the Floating Podcast Studio. Sounds good. I'm <laughs> down for that. Let's go. <laughs> Excellent. Well, if you're ever serious about it, we love to interview people in person whenever we can. So oh, we can escape from the cold. Know. Yeah, if I'm <laughs> soon, which I, I'm overdue for, for a little mm. bit of warmth and sun. So I'll let you I can imagine. Hey, thank you so much for doing this. I so appreciate it. I know our audience is going to love all the stuff that you said. And it was all just such wise words of wisdom that will help people. So thank you. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I break down my guest strategies for building mental strength and explain how you can apply them to your own life. Kendall shared a lot of mental strength building strategies during our conversation. Here are three of my favorites. Number one, Commit to working on your mental health every day. Kendall said it was never convenient to work on her mental health, and she made a really good point. Most people don't want to work on their mental health until they have a problem. But when you're feeling depressed or anxious, it's not easy to do. Mental health is a lot like physical health. If you neglect it, you'll eventually suffer the consequences. It's better to address it every day so you can build mental strength and stay as mentally healthy as possible. Whether you spend a few minutes every day practicing gratitude or you take time to do something that you enjoy, doing things that help you manage your stress and improve your mental health every day is important. Number two, remind yourself that you never know what actually might be going on with another person. Kendall said she often reminds herself that she has no idea what's going on with other people. That's a good point. Just look at her, for example. If you met her somewhere or just joined one of her classes, you might be quick to assume that she's always been a positive person who's been happy her entire life. You'd never know by looking at her or hearing her now that she's had significant struggles with mental health in the past. So when people are irritable, impatient, or rude, and you're tempted to react in a not-so-pleasant way, remind yourself that you have no idea what that person might be going through or where they've been in the past. A person who brags about themselves a lot might actually have horrible self-worth issues. Or that person who never makes eye contact might have a traumatic past. You never know what someone is experiencing or what they've been through. Keep that in mind to help you stay kind. Number three, 
practice using a lot of different healthy coping skills. I like that Kendall talked about how you need a toolbox of coping skills. Because if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that this should be really important. You probably weren't able to access a lot of your coping skills this year. Maybe you couldn't go to dinner with friends or you couldn't go to the gym or you couldn't go to your kids' sporting events and talk to the other parents. You might not have realized how much those things helped you feel good until they were no longer options. And as Kendall pointed out, the coping strategies that work for you at one point in your life might not work for you at another point. You might find walking helps manage your anxiety sometimes, but at other times, you might be better off calling a friend. Or maybe you find meditation works some days, but writing in a gratitude journal helps on other days. It's important to keep looking for strategies that help you relax, cheer you up, or calm you down. If you want more ideas about healthy coping skills, go back and listen to episode number 34. It's called Detox Your Thoughts with psychologist and best-selling author Andrea Bonnier. She shares a really good list of coping skills in that show. So those are three of Kendall's strategies that you might want to try in your own life. Commit to working on your mental health every day. Remind yourself that you have no idea what is actually going on in someone else's life. And create a toolbox filled with healthy coping skills. Thank you for hanging out with me today and listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you know someone who could benefit from hearing this message, share it with them. Simply sharing a link to the episode could help someone else grow stronger and become better. And if you like the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the Very Well Mind podcast on your favorite platform. Make sure to tune into the show on Friday. On this week's Friday Fix, I'll explain how to take back your power. If you sometimes feel like a helpless victim or you sometimes blame other people for things like wasting your time or taking advantage of you, you won't want to miss this one. I'll explain how to empower yourself to create the kind of life that you want to live. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.